My name's Tom, and today we're going to be taking uh, a little further step into the book of Exodus, which we started last week. And uh, before we uh, dive into the Bible, I just want to ask you, has anyone ever come across this catchphrase on social media, you are enough? Anyone? Yeah, so you might see it on Instagram or on on Facebook or on Pinterest, you are enough. Now, I don't really know what this means, okay? Um, I think what it means, I think it's an encouraging thing, right? I think it means someone trying to say to you, hey, don't try and be anything that you're not. Don't try and put on a persona that you're not. You are enough in and of yourself. I think that's what it means. And I think there's a good heart behind it. But I actually think it's kind of an empty kind of phrase, really, because when we are kind of really looking at ourselves honestly and really assessing ourselves honestly, we often feel inadequate for the things that are on our plate. We often feel inadequate when it comes to maybe the jobs we have. We feel inadequate and overwhelmed sometimes by that. We feel inadequate when it comes to being parents. If you're a parent here, you think, I don't know if I have what it takes. Or it might be to be a good friend to those around you who are in need. You might think, I just feel totally inadequate. I don't feel enough at all. It might be that as we talk increasingly about some of the big things that God's uh, called us to here uh, in Ipswich and beyond, that you think, I just... I just don't have what it takes. I don't feel enough. And no matter how many times people might say to me, you are enough, I don't really feel enough. And uh, today, really, as we're looking at the story of Moses, we're going to see a moment where he does not feel enough. He feels totally inadequate. We're talking about inadequacy and the holiness of God today. And more than ever, friends, I feel inadequate when it comes to unpacking these words for us. I know God's gifted me to preach. I know that uh, he, he uses me in this. But today I feel very inadequate because we're, we're entering into some deep waters where God reveals himself to Moses. He self-discloses some things about himself that are so, so profound. And I feel inadequate when it comes to doing this justice. There's a theologian from the last century called A.W. Tozer, who said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I think that's true. And I really want to help us to grasp afresh who God is. I think we've been helped even as we've sung this morning, actually. But it's so, so important. Another theologian from the last century who died a few years ago, J.I. Packer, said, Much of the the church's weakness is due to her view of God. And he says that we we kind of uh, view God, as it were, looking through a telescope, but the telescope is the wrong way round. And when you look through a telescope the wrong way round, everything seems smaller than it is. And he says, when you you do that, you you have a pygmy God. And he says, is there any wonder that we feel like pygmy Christians a lot of the time? We need to come and see God for who he is. And I hope today to try in some way to uh, help us see him for how he has revealed himself to be. But before we 
Uh, before we do that, before we enter into those deep waters, we're going to have a little bit of a recap uh, from last week. If you weren't here, or maybe you kind of didn't pick up on the whole of the story, the book of Exodus is kind of like Genesis part two. Genesis being the first book of the Bible, we see the God, God's creation, and we see him make some promises to some people. We see him make some big promises to a man called Abraham, who he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to cause your descendants to be more numerous than the stars in the sky, than the grains of sand on the beach. I'm going to make you into a people. I'm going to give you a land of your own. I'm going to bless you. And all the nations on the earth will be blessed through you. And we start to see right at the beginning of the book of Exodus that starting to be fulfilled because God's people multiply from about 70 to many thousands. But there's a problem. They're not in their land at this point. They're in Egypt. And they've arrived there as economic migrants. And at first they were welcomed into the country. But as often happens, and we see it again and again throughout history, after time, and when a new regime comes in sometimes, um, economic migrants are kind of viewed with suspicion and resentment, and it's not long before that happens. And there's a new regime in town, a new pharaoh, and he's feeling threatened by the Israelites. He's feeling like they're growing too numerous, and so he decides, I'm going to clamp down on these people. They're going to be my slaves, and I'm also going to make sure that their baby boys are taken out right at birth, that they might not grow strong and have an army one day, they can't take us on in battle. So he's kind of feeling very threatened in this. And the first two chapters of Exodus, we don't see God's name mentioned very much. And it might feel like he's not present, but actually he is very present, and he's working some things behind the scenes that are remarkable. And that may be the story for you and I, that actually uh, for many of us here, we might not have given much thought to God over our lives. We might not have given him much credit for anything in our lives, but since we've come to know him, many of us here, we can kind of see that all along his hand was on our life. We can kind of see that he was working things uh, in the background. He was doing stuff, even when we didn't acknowledge it. And this is what's going on in the story of Exodus, because God raises up Moses. And this baby is born, and uh, his mum and his sister uh, have him put in a little basket and put down the Nile to try and save him from the authorities of Pharaoh who'd want him killed. And what happens is he's found by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt's daughter, the princess, and her maids. And they take this baby in and they care for him. And then they have him uh, adopted into the royal household. So he's gr growing up as royalty and yet they end up paying his own mum to be his nanny, which is remarkable. God is, is a sovereign God. He's at work in all kinds of ways, even when it seems like it, it's going wrong. He's at work. And uh, so Moses ends up growing up with kind of a godly upbringing, as well as some wrong influences, as we're going to see in a minute. But he ends up growing with the influence of God in his life. God is at, about a great work. And the Egyptian... Uh, sorry, the Israelite people, they still to this day, the Jewish people still to this day, recount the story of Exodus every year. And if, if you were to ask someone, what is God like? Well, they would tell you the story of the Exodus. How it, when it seemed like everything was going wrong, God had a plan. God raised up a deliverer. God delivered his people. And listen, they look back in order to uh, 
receive kind of a, a fresh faith of God being able to do all things, okay? We need to do that. So as we look back over uh, this story of Exodus and things seemingly going wrong, things seemingly going the opposite way to God's promises and plans, we need to see that actually God is sovereign and he's at work and he's about a great thing. And we need to kind of look back at this story and other stories and see in the Bible, God, even in human sin, he's able to operate. Centuries later, Jesus is arrested and put through a fast trial and sentenced to death on the cross. And even in that horrendous human sin, God is outworking a plan. He's outworking a plan for the salvation of all who would believe. So we see this kind of the, the glimmer right at the end of chapter 2 of Moses being raised up. But then he becomes, we, we kind of meet him as, as a man, and uh, he sees his people, he sees the Israelite people in, uh, in an oppressive way. He sees uh, an Egyptian slave driver beating an, an Israelite slave to the ground, and he, he kind of has this rage bubbling up inside of him, and so he decides he's going to kill this Egyptian slave driver. There's still some things of Egypt in Moses. He's got to unlearn some things. He's seen some things in the royal household of Pharaoh, and he needs to unlearn those things. And he ends up killing this Egyptian slave driver, and he thinks that no one has seen, but they have seen. And so he has to flee Egypt, because Pharaoh's after him. And he ends up with these people called the Midianites. Now, the Midianites are a nomadic people. They journey around the desert. And where are they? They're in the land of Canaan. They're in the very land that God has promised to the Israelite people. And so he's joined with these Midianites who are God-honoring people, and he ends up uh, marrying a woman there called Zipporah, and uh, he ends up tending to uh, her father's flocks. That's, he gets a job there. It seems in some ways that he's home, and yet he's not, because his people are not there with him. He's kind of halfway there, but there's this tragic situation still occurring in Egypt where the people of God are under great oppression. So this is where we pick up the story. That's the recap, as it were. We're going to pick up the story in Exodus and chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you turn there. Now we're going to read uh, verses 1 to verse uh, 20. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, 
a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go Assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you, and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I've promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of various people, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. So this is 40 years after Moses has fled Egypt. It's a long time. It might feel like Moses is starting to think, well, maybe that's my life now. I'm going to be tending to my, father's, my father-in-law's sheep. Maybe the promises over his life, maybe the special upbringing he had, he might be thinking, well, that was all a bit random. Maybe some of you are in that place where you think, I did know some promises over me. I did feel God stirring me for some stuff, but not a lot's happened. It's been a long time, and not a lot's happened. But Moses has an encounter with God that shows him that all of those years were not wasted years. They were, they were years of, of refinement and preparation. And he, he sees this bush burning, which is not an uncommon sight in a very dry, hot place, It's not an uncommon sight for a bush to even spontaneously burst into flames. But it's a bush that's not being consumed. And Moses is told to take off his sandals because he's on holy ground. We'll come on to that in a few minutes. He's on holy ground. He can't even bring himself to look. This is a remarkable encounter. And I... I wonder if you've ever kind of thought, like, why fire? Why a bush? Why would God reveal himself to Moses through a fiery bush? Well, I think it's probably one of the only things, fire, one of the only things in this world that is simultaneously inviting and also terrifying at the same time. That we, we see fire and we think, oh, that's wonderful. I want to come, I want to draw close to it. But you know that actually 
to be on the wrong side of it is dangerous. You know that when it goes wrong, it's very, very dangerous indeed. And I think God is showing him, look, you, I am magnificent. I am awesome. And I invite you near. But I'm also, I'm not to be messed with. He's showing him something even through this manifestation of the fire. So Moses is aware, I'm on holy ground here. This is something very, very, this is something truly awesome. We use awesome in so many ways, don't we? That pizza was awesome. That goal was awesome. But no, God is the only one of whom it can be really said that he is awesome. This is an awesome sight. And he's, he speaks to Moses of his holiness, but he speaks to him of his compassion. He says, I'm concerned for my people. I've, I've seen and I've heard and I know their situation. He shows him that he's a God of compassion. And he says, so go. Like quite early on in this encounter, he says, so go. And Moses understandably wants to know a little bit more. And he understandably has a few things to say to God. He says, well, who am I? Who am I to, to, to do this? Who am I to be the one that leads my people out of Egypt? And God's answer, it sounds like God hasn't listened to the question. Do you ever speak to someone and you ask them a question and they give you an answer that just reveals that they haven't really understood your question. They haven't really even listened to your question. And you think, no, no, you, you haven't heard me properly. Moses probably thinking this, God, I've said, who am I? And God's response to him is, I will be with you. I will be with you. He's wanting to, to make a point here to Moses. He's giving him an answer that he didn't expect because God knows the real reason that Moses is asking this question. He knows that Moses is feeling totally inadequate for the task. Totally inadequate because the last time he had anything to do with Egypt, he fled. He had to run away. He's feeling totally inadequate because it's a superpower that he's dealing with. Egypt being the most uh, kind of advanced nation in the world at that time. It would be like walking up to the president of the US and making demands of him. And he's feeling totally inadequate for the task. And God is saying that the answer to the real problem you have is me. I, I am the answer to this. Now, when I was 17, I was dumped by my girlfriend. You can get the little mini violins out if you want to. In fact, I, as a result of this very sad occasion in my life, took up playing the guitar, okay, and, and wrote some sad songs. Now, I received the line that some of you might have received in your life where I was told, it's, it's not you, it's me. Anyone, anyone received that? Yeah, a few of you. It's not you, it's me. It's not about you. It's, it's, it's me. Listen, God is, is saying to Moses here, it's not about you, it's about me. You, you feel totally inadequate. What you need is to know some things about me. What Moses doesn't need here is a pep talk from God. He doesn't need God saying, hey, you are enough. I've never seen sheep so well shepherded, Moses. And that beard is on point. No, no, he doesn't need a, he doesn't need a pep talk here. He needs, he needs Moses to grasp some things about God. He needs Moses to understand who he is. The answer to your problem, Moses, is not anything about you. It's me. 
I am with you, he says. And listen, identity is, is quite a big deal in, uh, in our culture. We're encouraged to self-create our identity. A hundred years ago, it wasn't the case. You just kind of, your, your identity was wrapped up with your family's prestige, your family's reputation, your family's line of work, your family's class, as it were. It wasn't something that you really kind of set out to create for yourself. And now we're encouraged to create for ourselves an, an identity. From a young age, we're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that question isn't any longer just about what do you want to do for a living to put food on the, family, food, food on the table for your family. No, it's about what do you want? You can be anything you want to be. Absolutely anything. Even if it defies logic, you can be whatever you want to be. And that's the message that is kind of fed in through Disney. If you believe in your heart strong enough, and you put yourself to it, you can be anything you want. You can create for yourself an identity. And that might sound all well and good until it comes crashing down and we realize we're really inadequate. We might build identity around a career and think, uh, I'm going to give myself to this and everyone's going to know I am the man. I've built this great business. I've, grilled, I've built this great empire. Or I've worked hard and I've... I've become successful, I've, I've earned some good money, that's all very well until you retire and you're suddenly no longer the man. You're suddenly no longer the person who is a successful person and no one remembers your name in your company anymore. There's a, there's a kind of a, a fragile thing around building our identity around anything that's temporary. It might be that you, you build your identity around, I'm the fit one, I'm the one who's really good at uh, athletics. I'm the one who's really, really strong and fit, and then you get illness or injury, and that comes crashing down. Or it might be we build our identity around family. I, I want to have the, the perfect family, or certainly the, the family that appears perfect to others. And then it kind of comes crashing down in some ways, either through divorce or through children not going the way that you wanted them to go. And it's all very fragile when we're encouraged to build an identity on something that is actually very, very unstable. And we can suddenly be faced with our inadequacy. And we can ask ourselves, have I done enough? Have I achieved enough? Am I enough? And there's all sorts of huge problems in our culture right now. Huge problems around anxiety and depression, where I think at the bottom of it is people thinking, am I enough? Have I really done enough? Am I really of any value? And I think God is, is, is speaking into Moses' sense of inadequacy here and saying, "Just it's, it's not about you. You need to know who I am, and you need to know that I am with you. Walk with me. But put, put, put your roots down in me. Build upon the foundation of who I am. Build, if you, find your identity in that you're joined to me. And then you, you're not on a sort of fragile ground. He's saying, Moses, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. Nothing you can do will affect my, my affection for you. I, I, I love you. And listen, friends, we really, we really need to know this. And we need to keep coming back to it. 
Because otherwise we're going to find ourselves trying to forge for ourselves some kind of identity that really is fragile. That really will come and go and fade and will leave us in a sense of inadequacy. The sense of, I'm not really enough. So who is God? He says, well, sorry, who is Moses? God says, I will be with you. We need to know what this God is like. He will self-disclose some things in just a moment. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We need to get that telescope the right way around. We need to understand who it is that is saying, I will be with you. So Moses wants to know some more. So in verse 13, he says, So who shall I say it is that's sending me? And God, once again, gives him an answer to his question that is probably not the answer that he was hoping for or expecting, with an answer that is deliberately designed to to blow his mind and to strengthen him and to strengthen us. He says, I am who I am. That's what God says in response to, who shall I say is sending me? I am who I am. God is revealing himself to be the one who isn't dependent on anyone else to define him. So if I, if I ask any of you here to define yourself, you would have to define yourself in relation to other people. Okay, so I, if I was asked to describe myself, define myself, I'd say, I'm a man, I'm tall, I've got dark hair, I uh, am married, I, so I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a Chelsea supporter. It, you, you have to... I knew that that would get some reaction. Um, but I, I, I have to describe myself in relation to other people. So I'm a man as opposed to a woman. I can see that I'm different to women, so I'm a man. I'm tall because most people I meet are shorter than me. I'm, I've got dark hair because I meet a lot of people who've got light hair. So I, you know, I have to, I'm a Chelsea supporter as opposed to an Ipswich Town supporter. This is the kind of, you kind of have to define yourself in relation to other people. But God's definition of himself circles back to himself. I am who I am. I have been who I always will be. I will be who I always have been. There's there's no kind of relating to others here. I am who I am. It's the word Yahweh is how he reveals himself. The name he, he reveals himself as having. We might also translate it as Jehovah. In your Old Testament, if you uh, read the word Lord in capital letters, it's the, it's the name Yahweh. I am who I am. That's how God defines himself. That's how God reveals himself. He is the one who is not dependent on anyone else to define himself or to exist. It's not a case of, uh, I will be like this if things go my way, or I will be like this if, uh, if I don't find a better plan. No, I will always be the same. I'm the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the same God that you and your, your people know, Moses, I'm that same one. I haven't changed. I will never change. This is how he reveals himself. He's holy. He's holy. So Moses has to take off his shoes. Moses can't even look at him. He's a holy God. As we've already heard this morning, that means other. He's completely unlike us. Sometimes we say things like, well, God is love, but he's also holy. (laughs) As if holy is some kind of like negative attribute. 
No, no, he's totally other. He's unlike you and I. He's, he's set apart. He's in a category of his own. He's, he is God. He's completely holy. Now, to say that God is holy is, is probably the most central truth statement about God that we could make. You might say, well, God is love. Yeah, he is love. The Bible says it very clearly. But if you were to ask any one of these awesome angelic beings, what is God like? They would say, he's holy, holy, holy. And they would do it in a very loud voice as well. He is, he is majestic, full of spl- clothed in splendor. He's, he is, words don't really do it justice. This is the God who Moses is encountering. Now, when we say he's unlike us, we've got a bit of a problem because we're kind of encouraged to think of ourselves as rather lovely. <laughs> we're kind of encouraged that, you know, to think of ourselves as, yeah, you're kind of a good person deep down, and you're pretty lovely. And if so, if he's unlike us, we think, well, that's bad news. Well, the reality is we're not very lovely. I won't get you to turn to the person next to you and say you're not very lovely. <laughs> I won't do that today. But we're not. And even, even the things that we do that seem really loving are tainted by wrong motives often. We, we, we've got all kinds of mixed motives in our hearts and minds. Well, God is, is not tainted by any mixed motives. He's not tainted by anything. He's totally other, totally unlike us. His holiness refers to the perfection of all of his attributes. So his love is holy. His wisdom is holy. His power is holy. The angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. And we're flawed. He's flawless. And he decides what is good, and he meets the standards perfectly. And we're kind of making it up as we go along in, the, in this country, right? <laughs> I, th- I really think we are. We're kind of just, we're, we're, we're compl- our nation is completely clueless when it comes to standards. We're just kind of making it up as we go along. Nation claiming that there's no God, or there's no real standards of right or wrong. We just kind of feel our way forward. And we're very confused. But God is, he not only sets the standards, he meets the standards. He's perfect. He's flawless in every way. Now, a God who is a single person and holy, I think probably would be bad news for us. Because his holiness would mean he, he stays at a distance. And anything that comes near to him would just burn up. Like an object getting too close to the sun. And that is true to a degree. That actually, yeah, you get near to God as a sinful man or woman, you, you burn up. But God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. He has been and always will be a loving community of three persons. And there's always been this wonderful love flowing between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's that love that overflowed to God 
sending the Son, God the Father sending his Son to this earth to win people to be part of his family, to make them clean, make them right before him, to rid them of their sin and bring them into relationship, that we don't get burnt up, that we don't get consumed by God's holy fire. God is other in that he, he does things that we would never do, like sacrificing so much to win his enemies. To, to win those who have turned their back on him, to win those who, who have paid him no regard in their lives, and then he's just turned up and showered us with grace and mercy. That's what God does. He's, he's unlike us, friends. He's other. He's perfectly holy. His, his holiness and his loving kindness are not at odds with each other. He, at the cross, friends, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't like God was just... He wasn't, he wasn't sweeping sin under the rug. He was exposing what our sin really, really meant. And he dealt with it. And Jesus took it upon himself. And we see here how committed God is to fulfilling his promises. To fulfilling his promises that he would have a people for himself. That he would fill the whole earth with the knowledge of his glory. But Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We see at the cross the commitment of God to his promises and the commitment of God to his holiness. And we see that at the cross, there's not this kind of God just kind of letting us off. No, Jesus Christ took our place. This is, this is the holiness. This is what our sin meant, friends. We, we, we so often lose sight of that. And we think, well, why did he have to do that? No, our sin meant that Jesus Christ had to die because the wages of sin is death. We need to see again and again this holy God who paid for it all for us, who did it, who went to the great lengths to save us. We need to do, we need, listen, friends, when we feel inadequate, Rather than thinking, I need a pep talk, I need some people. I mean, encouragement is good, right? Encouraging one another is good. But rather than needing some kind of pep talk about how good we are and how enough we are, we need, we need to see God for who he is and to see what he's done for us. That's what we need, friends, that he's with us. So let's finish by looking at our inadequacy and God's mission in the world. We've shared recently of God's desire to have a people for himself from every nation and tribe and tongue. And we've talked about the multiplication journey that we believe God's calling us into, that we're going to pray into some more tonight. And it can feel a bit overwhelming, can't it? It can feel like, how is that even going to be possible that God might multiply us in various ways here in Ipswich, that he might send from this place to other towns and cities and nations, people on a mission. And we might think it seems overwhelming because we might relate to Moses when we think, I haven't really got the resources. And, and he says in chapter 4, which we're not going to read through, but he brings a lot of ex excuses or reasons before God. Firstly, he says to God in verse 1, what if they don't listen to me? And then he goes on to say, but I, I don't speak very well, God, okay? I, I, I don't have a very good speaking voice. 
What, what do I do? And then he, he finally says, Lord, is there, is there someone else that you can send? Is there someone else, please? I just, I don't think it's me, Lord. I don't think I can do this. It's quite reassuring, isn't it, that even Moses, having had this amazing encounter with God, and God showing him quite amazing signs beyond the burning bush in this encounter which you can read about, and Moses still has these questions. Are you really sure, Lord, that it's me? Are you really sure you want me to go? Because I feel totally inadequate. And maybe you've been feeling like that in, the day, in recent days, thinking, I just, I can't do it. I, I, can't, I can't speak to people. I feel totally inadequate. I, I seem to mumble up my words, and I, I always come back away thinking, I wish I'd said that, or I wish I'd asked to pray for that. Anyone relate? Just me? Hey, look, guys, I, in recent months, I've, I've thought, is, am I the right person to be leading the team here? I've, I've thought that to myself at times. I felt, Lord, this is a big task. Is there not someone else better place to do this? I don't know his permission to, to not do this. I don't know that. I haven't felt him say, no, no, you lay this down. But what, what, I, what I need is not some sort of pep talk. No, you're the guy, you can do this. I need, to, I need to take him up on his invite to see him afresh every day for who he is. And to be in his word and in prayer and worship where I'm, I'm coming back again to the truth of who he is. The I am, the great holy one, the majestic one, has said, I am with you. I will be with you. I need to keep going back to that. And friends, we need to keep going back to that. Listen, I, I think it, it dishonors God when we, when, we, uh, when we hold others kind of in higher esteem than we do him. When we're, when we're kind of more fearful of others or more overawed by our inadequacy than we am by being in awe of him. Does that make sense? I, I think he, we see that in verse 14 in chapter 4 where kind of like Moses is saying, can it, can it be someone else, God? And God's like, you see, he gets angry with Moses. He does agree to give him his brother Aaron as his helper. But you can see he's, he's frustrated by this. Listen, when we're kind of just so caught up in our own inadequacy and looking in at ourselves, God wants to say, look up. Look at who I am. See me for who I am. Friends, might we be that kind of people that when there's friends who are struggling in the church here, and we're going through life groups this term and struggling with inadequacy in all kinds of ways, might we be those that say, Yes, we can give words of encouragement, but might our words of encouragement be more, hey, let's go to God together. Let's pray together. Let's remind ourselves of who it is that it is with us. Let's worship together. Can we be those kinds of friends? <laughs> Point people to God? And as we go about our mission day to day in our, in our walks of life, whatever we're doing, can we be those that trust that it's God who is the one who gives people hearing and understanding. That's what he says to Moses. I, I've, I created people. I know how, how they understand things. I know how they hear things. I know that people aren't very good at hearing sometimes. Can we trust that we're just going to be obedient to God? The Apostle Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, I sowed the seeds, and Apollos came and reaped, but it was God who gave the growth. 
There's an understanding in Paul that like, I don't have to have all of the perfect words. Sometimes it's making, as one friend said to me this week, it's making the job of the next Christian easier. I'm sowing seeds. I'm pointing people towards Jesus. Someone else might come and reap later down the line. That's good. We've got to trust God that he's going to give us the words, friends. When we feel totally inadequate, he will give us the words. And that he's with us. We look to that truth. So should we stand together? We've got a little while. We're going to sing. I don't quite know what God's going to do in these next few minutes, but we're going to sing together. And as I I dropped my children off um, at the groups earlier, I came back in and there was a a moment where everyone was just singing out. There wasn't a lot of music being played. We were just singing out about the holiness of God. And I I think we've got to grow in this more and more. It's so good, friends, that we're, we're doing this, that we're there's a lot of people in this room, and um, sometimes we can come and we can just sit and watch. Okay, let's just sit and watch, not, you know, I'm just going to be led by the people at the front. But it was so good just to see people just singing out. So even as we sing in response to God, let's, let's you know, if there's a moment where there's no music being played or no one's at the front singing, just keep going, keep pressing into God. Okay, we do this, we do this. Okay, this is who we are. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we, I, I just feel my words are so inadequate because this is really, really deep waters. Lord, we want to, we want to grasp who you are. And in, the, in, in our hearts and minds, uh, we don't want to see you as small or flimsy or some kind of Father Christmas in the sky We want to see you. You're the holy God before whom it's appropriate that we bow. Lord, before whom angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. And and Father, we, we, we thank you and we rejoice today that you have made a way for us to come. You have made a way for us to come with boldness and confidence. And Lord, we come now with boldness and confidence, but we come with a reverence as well, knowing who you're the awesome God of all the universe. And um, Lord, we, we, we face so often with our inadequacies and we feel like we're not enough. Lord, help us to see you for who you are. Help us to see, your, Lord, you're with us. And that's what matters. Just, just, just where we are, friends, even as we're here, just... Let's just talk to God ourselves. Just, let's just say to him, Lord, I, I haven't got what it takes to do X, Y, Z. <laughs> you, put, you fill in the blanks, but you're with me. You're with me. And you're for me. And you've, you've shown that you're for me because you sent your son to die for me. So let's just, let's just raise our voices now together. Lord, thank you that you're with me. Lord, I do feel inadequate. I feel inadequate to even speak of you. And yet I just declare today, I know you're with me. The God of the universe, the God of all time and eternity is with me and is committed to me. Let's keep raising our voices, friends. Let's just say to him, thank you, Lord. It's not about me. It's about you. Lord, it's not about what I'm incapable of. It's about what you are capable of, Lord. I'm choosing to be obedient to you in all that I do, knowing you're going to help me. You're going to be the one who is with me. I don't need to fear. I don't need to be overwhelmed because you are with me. Thank you, Lord.
We choose to look to you. We choose to see the Holy One, the one who is other, above all things. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing to him together. Let's rejoice in him together, who he is. He's awesome.